You've heard that saying, haven't you? That if you throw a rock in a pack of wild dogs, the one that yelps the loudest is the one that got hit. And you see, the one that perhaps is yelping or barking the loudest against you because of your devotion to the Lord, the one who's coming against you, making the most noise, it could be, just maybe, perhaps, that they're feeling and sensing the conviction of the Lord. Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. And perhaps there are those in your life that you can say that the more that I love you, the less I am loved by you. Because you love them enough to give them the truth of God's word, to bring correction to them to see them desire to walk with the Lord closely. And that will take place in your life and in my life as well as we minister to others. And Paul, he loved that church. He loved the people there. And he loved them enough to make sure that they had the truth. And that he loved them enough to write this correction to them, even though they would hold them out at arm's length, even though it ended up that he says that you love me less. And so Paul here, given them uh, this, this letters in 1 Corinthians, we will see that he would write to them and bring correction to them. Now, the city of Corinth was a very interesting place in and of itself. To give you a little bit of background about the city of Corinth is going to help us tremendously to understand why they struggled in some of the areas that they did, why they struggled with carnality and the different issues that Paul is going to address uh, with them as we go through this letter. Corinth was located in what we call again today Greece. It was located towards the southern end of Greece, again, about 50, 40 miles south of the city of Athens. It was a city that was a fairly large city. Some estimate from 400,000 to perhaps up to 700,000 people were in the city of Corinth at this time. It was a city at the time that Paul's writing this letter to them that was very prosperous, prosperous economically. It was an entertainment uh, center. It was one that was considered a very exciting city as well. And the reason that it was is because it was um, a major trade center. There would be those ships that would come into Corinth. Now, Corinth, and again, some of you perhaps have maps in the back of your Bible that you can look at, but Greece, as it comes down, it comes down to a very little, narrow band of land. Let's call it Isthmus. And that band of land is only four miles wide, and that's where the city of Corinth was located. On the west side was the Adriatic Sea. On the east side is the Aegean Sea. And what would happen is, is that sailors sailing around Greece, they would come through the Adriatic Sea, coming over uh, from, from Rome or other parts of Europe. They would be in the Adriatic Sea, and they would come sail into Corinth, into the port there. And instead of going around then, around the southern part of Greece and having to come back up into the Aegean Sea, what they actually did is they took these ships and they lifted them out of the waters and they put them on rollers. And these rollers, they would roll across this four-mile band of land that separated the two seas. It's, it's kind of like 
North America, Central America, and you come down to Panama, there's that little band of land that separates the Pacific Ocean from the Atlantic Ocean. And now there's a canal there so you can cut through instead of having to go all the way around South America. Well, to a smaller scale, what separated those two seas, the Adriatic Sea to the west and the Aegean Sea to the east, was that little band of land, four miles. They took the ships out, they put them on rollers, and they would roll them across the land and then put them on the other side. It would be very, very dangerous, particularly in the wintertime, for those sailors to continue to sail around the southern end of Greece. There would be storms all the time. Ships would go down into the ocean. It would be very, very dangerous. So what they did is they decided to make a way for these rollers that they would roll the ships across the land in Corinth. And because of that, and of course they don't do that today. Today they've made a canal so they can cut through there. But as a result of all these ships and merchants coming into the city of Corinth, it became a very prosperous city. It it was a city uh, that had a lot of activity, a lot of travelers coming through. But as a result of that as well, it became a very wicked city, a very worldly and carnal city. It was a place that was filled with pagan worship. Um, It was a city that at that time, they had a large temple that was named to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And from that temple of Aphrodite, dedicated to her, every evening there would be a thousand temple prostitutes that would go out through the city to recruit business as an act of devotion to Aphrodite. So Corinth was a city that was so full of moral wickedness and corruption. It was a city that would make Las Vegas or San Francisco blush. To be called a Corinthian was a very derogatory term. It it would be like being called a dirty name. In the ancient plays back at this time, when anybody played the Corinthian, it was always a person who was playing a drunkard or somebody who had loose moral values, that kind of person. So it was a city that became synonymous with gross immorality and drunken debauchery and moral depravity. So the believers at Corinth, coming out of all of that, they would struggle and they would wonder about certain moral issues. They would wonder about their liberty in Christ which, again, we're going to see that Paul is going to address. So Paul writing to them, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brothers. Now, who's Sosthenes? Well, back to Acts chapter 18. Paul ministering there in Corinth. Many people are getting saved. Crispus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, got saved. Well, now there's a new ruler of the synagogue. He takes over, and that new ruler, his name is Sosthenes. And what Sosthenes did is he's looking over, this revival's breaking out. Crispus, our ruler, who used to be our ruler, he went over and he got saved. And, and there's this holy happening taking place. And a lot of things taking place and people and traffic and, and, and all of this. And Paul's bringing this message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Sosthenes, he decides, I've got to do something about this. So he goes to the Roman governor of Achaia, Galileo. And he goes to Galileo to make this protest. He thinks, you know what? Galileo's going to deal with Paul. We, as he goes to Galileo, Sosthenes, we have this problem in our community. This man, Paul, next door to our synagogue, 
He is teaching things that are contrary to our law. And Paul, as he's there standing before Galileo as well, he's about ready to speak, and that's when Galileo interrupted and said, Hey, this is a religious matter. This is not a civil matter. This has nothing to do with me. It doesn't concern me. You guys need to settle it yourselves. And so he drove them out. But what happened was is that the Greeks took Sosthenes at that time and they beat him up, literally. I mean, they beat the sauce out of him. And so what would happen after that is we see that years later, that Paul's writing to this church just a few years later. And he says, Paul the Apostle and Sosthenes are brother. An amazing story when you look at that. Here is Sosthenes. He's looking at this revival that's going on next door and Paul preaching Christ and him crucified. People are getting converted. Even Crispus, he was my friend. And he sees this going on. Well, I'll, I'll protest. I'll protest to Galileo. And the, Galileo dismisses his case very abruptly. And then he ends up being beaten up. And he probably thought that I can do this because they'll take care of Paul and maybe Paul will take a lick in. And, and it's interesting in chapter 18 of the book of Acts that the Lord came to Paul and said, Paul, you continue ministering in this city because no one's going to hurt you. No one's going to harm you. I'm going to be with you. So Paul was able to minister on the promise of God, the promise of his presence, and the promise that no one's going to hurt you, Paul. And I think that what we can learn from Sosthenes and what he went through is that one time, here is a man that was so opposed to the work of the Lord, to the ministry of what Paul was doing, and all of a sudden now he's following alongside of Paul, a fellow laborer of Christ. And the reason, again, that I'm bringing this point out is because of this, that I know that some of you, that you're being opposed, that you're being made fun of, or people are coming against you because you're a Christian. And I hope that we understand that there are times that those who are most active or expressive and opposing your belief in the Lord can be at times the ones that are most convicted by the Spirit. And they're closer to conversion than you might think. So when you have that person who's making fun of you, perhaps pointing their finger at you, or talking negatively about you, Hey, I'm going to bring them before all the people at work. I'm going to bring you before everybody at school. I'm going to bring you before all the neighbors, and I'm going to talk about you and talk negatively about you. And all of a sudden, they start taking a beating. They're taking a beating in their hearts and in their souls because they ended up being convicted by your testimony, by your witness, your devotion to the Lord. And we need to understand that they may not be as far from the kingdom of God as you think. That's the way it was with Sosthenes. You've heard that saying, haven't you? That if you throw a rock in a pack of wild dogs, the one that yelps the loudest is the one that got hit. And you see, the one that perhaps is yelping or barking the loudest against you because of your devotion to the Lord the one who's coming against you, making the most noise, it could be just maybe, perhaps, that they're feeling and sensing the conviction of the Lord 
And they're not far from the kingdom of God. You can just ask Sosthenes. So here, him and Paul, as they're addressing the church at Corinth, verse 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. And so the definition of a saint, of course, Paul gives it to us in verse 2. He says, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you're a believer, call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, you are considered a saint. And Paul would use that customary greeting to the saints at Corinth, to the saints that are in Galatia, to the saints of Philippi, it is a believer in Jesus Christ. I like what old J. Vernon McGee would say concerning this. He said that there are two groups of people, saints and ain'ts. You're either a saint or you ain't. And so that's a good way to put it. So believers in Jesus Christ, called saints, calling on the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, also, you who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. And as most of us know, that we know that sanctified means one who is set apart. In the Greek, it has a meaning set apart for exclusive use and purposes. You are sanctified in Christ Jesus. You are set apart exclusively for the purpose and use of Jesus Christ. Now, an example in the Old Testament is when they constructed the tabernacle, when they constructed the temple. Solomon built the temple, uh, the first temple, and they would make the vessels, and those vessels and furnishings were used in the service of the temple. And as they were used, before they were used, they would be sanctified. That is, they would be set apart for exclusive use never to be used for anything else other than the worship and service of God there at that temple. And you might recall the story that 400 years after Solomon built the temple, that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, would come in and he would take over Jerusalem. He would take some of the choice men of Judah away captive in what would begin the Babylonian captivity. Daniel was one of those. And he would then at that time go into the temple of Jerusalem He would take some of those vessels out, the furnishings and vessels used for temple worship, and he would take them back, put them in those pagan temples there in Babylon. Well, after the death of Nebuchadnezzar, at the close of the Babylonian Empire, what do we see in Daniel chapter 5? Belshazzar had made a feast for a thousand of his lords. They had been drinking very heavily. He orders that those golden cups be brought out that had been taken from the temple there in Jerusalem. And what they were doing as they were having this this party is they would drink their wine from these cups that had been dedicated and sanctified for the use of God in the temple in Jerusalem. And what they did is they were toasting to the gods of gold and silver. They had desecrated the vessels that had been set apart for the exclusive purpose of worship and service to God. And the result is, as a lot of you know the story there in Daniel chapter 5, is the hand of God came right in on the wall. And the judgment of God would fall that night upon Belshazzar in the Babylonian Empire. Very fascinating look at historically. Those of you, you and I who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, we are set apart from the world. And you and I are set apart from the things of the world. And may we never forget that we vessels, that he has set us aside for his use. Not to be used for our own gain and pleasures and the pleasures of the world. 
And I think that where a lot of Christians at times can miss it, and certainly the Christians at Corinth had missed it, and they needed to be reminded, and you and I need to be reminded, that we have been set aside not to continue in the world, but to be set apart from the world and set aside for the purposes of God. And how you and I need to be reminded of that very clearly And we need to be reminded of that very, very much in this self-consumed and self-focused Christianity that we see so much of today. We are set apart for Him, to worship Him and to serve Him. You and I are holy vessels, instruments that is just set aside for the purposes of God. Not for our own purposes or purposes of the world. But we have been sanctified in Jesus Christ, and may our lives reflect that as we're devoted to him and as we walk with him. So he says, verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. So the apostle with his usual dual greeting of grace and peace. And then he expresses how he's thankful for the grace of God. It's kind of interesting. You remember the church of Colossae? He was thankful for them for what? For their, for their love. They were known for their love and their faith in Jesus Christ, weren't they? This church, uh, there was division. This church, there was carnality. So he kind of writes, concerning you here at Corinth, I'm thankful for God's grace given to you by Christ Jesus. And I hope that you and I are always very thankful for the grace of God, the incredible grace that he has given to us. In verse 5, that you were enriched in everything by him and all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writing this letter to them, he didn't address them on the matter of circumcision like he did the churches of Galatia or asceticism like the church of Colossae. He didn't warn them against dead works like he would warn the church of Philippi. But one of the issues concerning Corinth, and there were many issues, of course, but one of the issues is is that they really prided in knowledge. And here Paul, he's commending them. He says in verse 5, enriched in everything by him in all utterance, that is, speech and all knowledge. They had the testimony of Christ confirmed in them. They had the gifts of the Spirit being manifested through them. They were waiting for the return of the Lord, verse 7. So Paul does affirm some of the positive qualities of this church. It wasn't all bad, but he reminds them that it comes by the grace of God, the gift of the Spirit, the gifts, the the knowledge of the Lord. Now keep in mind again, the Greek culture. Corinth was like many of the Greek cities, and that was the people there really were into knowledge, philosophy, and to wisdom, weren't they? Paul there in Athens, he's on Mars Hill, he's... He's given that address to the philosophers. They would hang out there at Mars Hill all day long, waiting to hear new wisdom and knowledge and oratory skills and had how you said things were very, very important to them. And they would boast in that. And I think that's why one of the reasons they were more susceptible to perhaps 
these ones coming in and calling themselves super apostles and prophets because they would speak with great oratory skill. And they would say, ah, don't listen to Paul the Apostle. He doesn't come with excellence of speech. And even Paul admits, I didn't come with excellence of speech. It's even some who suggest that perhaps Paul stuttered a little bit. Paul says, I didn't come with the wisdom of man or the wisdom of, of, and, and power of, of oratory skills. He said, I came in a demonstration of power of the Holy Spirit. And I came preaching nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. These false apostles and prophets seem so elegant and so knowledgeable, and I think that's one of the reasons they were susceptible to them. And then also that it would also lead, I believe, to the division that we're going to see next week that they had because they would say, well, we're of this teacher, Peter. We really like to listen to him. Or we're of this, this teacher, Paul. Or we're of Apollos. And Apollos, of course, he was one the Scripture tells was a brilliant man. So the Corinthian believers, it was likely that they were theologians. They, they loved to get together and have these heavy discussions of philosophy and doctrines and dialogue about certain things. You, you see that even today in the church. Let's discuss all these things, ask all these questions. You know, where did Cain get his wife? Why doesn't God just kill the devil? You know, things like that. And the Corinthian believers, they would consider themselves trietarian, sopra, lasarian, trichotomist. Now, I don't know what that means. You probably don't know what that means, but the Corinthians, they knew what that meant. So they were ones that loved terminology and speech and being theologians. Paul continuing, he says that you are not lacking in any of the spiritual gifts. According to Paul, all the spiritual gifts were being manifested. The gift of miracles, the gift of healing, the gift of tongues, the interpretation of tongues. They had the gift of teaching, the gift of prophecy. I mean, there was not a single one of the gifts of the Spirit. He says, you are lacking in none of the gifts. They understood that the Lord would return. And when he appeared, that he would set things right here on this earth. Now, when I read about what Paul has to say to the Corinthian believers here in these opening statements, his greeting to them, on one hand, it blesses me. On the other hand, it warns me. On one hand, it blesses me and encourages me because I realize that the gifts of the Spirit are not dependent upon me attaining a certain level of spirituality. It's a matter of being a recipient of God's grace, and that frees me up. That means that I can continue to move in ministry in the gifts of the Spirit, not on the basis on how I'm doing, but what He is doing in my life. And I embrace it, and I enjoy it, and I can flow with it. And just marveling at the fact that the Lord would want to use me and that He would gift me for the purposes of the kingdom of God, that encourages me. But also as I read this, it warns me that I cannot think that a person or myself or a congregation that is being used by the Lord have a knowledge of the Lord that the gifts of the Spirit are being used, that it is indicative of some deep or high depth of spirituality. Because you can be moving in the gifts, in the charisma, and you can lack character and integrity. Ask the Corinthians. They were behind in no gift. But they were a mixed up, messed up congregation. 
So don't be at awe when you see a man or a congregation or a group of people that have been graced to move in the things of the Spirit. You look at their character, their virtues that are being displayed in their lives. Are they walking with the Lord? And this group of believers, you have been graced by God in all utterance and knowledge. You lack no gift. You're waiting for the return of the Lord who will confirm you till the end that you may be blameless in the day of the Lord. Same thing that Paul said to the Colossian church, wasn't it? Jude says that he is able to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy, which leads to verse 9, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Don't forget this, that God is faithful. And maybe you come into this place this morning, and maybe you've been struggling a bit. Whatever issues it might be that you're dealing with in your life. And I want you to know this, that God is faithful. God is faithful, and you've been called into the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.